0: Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories. This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Julie Cross is a dynamite human and someone that came on my radar about three years ago. She's a multi-award winning speaker and in her own words, a non-award winning mother of two boys. About two years ago, Julie put a post up on Facebook one Sunday evening. It was a photo of her in a bikini and she gave a bit of a spiel about body image and really loving the skin that you're in. And then she woke up the next morning to over 120,000 comments and 80,000 shares and an absolute whirlwind of media attention. She'd gone viral. In this conversation, she unpacks what this was like for her and why she continues to share her message to various audiences. She also talks about the depth of grief in losing her husband and the experience of her youngest son, Thomas, living with autism. Julie shares empowering messages all around the world About the difference that we can make with the people that are around us, certainly when we reach out. The story at the end of this conversation is one that I just know is going to give you goosebumps. A slight word of warning you may want to grab your tissues for this episode, so, soak up the vivacious essence that is Julie Cross. Julie, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Ali. Great to be here. It's Thanks for having me. Awesome to have you here. There's so many jumping off points that I want to start off. You're um, the person who sparkles and speaks from stage. You do so many things. You have a massive following um, of people who love your message, who connect with your authenticity, but also really interested in, I mean, you share a lot of your, your life. But I want to start by... I guess getting the story behind something that was fairly big for you, um, it's probably a bit of a goal for people who have their own brand, for some big businesses, but for you, it kind of came out of the blue, uh, that time when you went viral. <laughs> yes, that <laughs> <What> time. <laughs> that time. And like, I know the story, but I won't share the story because I'd love to hear it from your perspective. What happened? Um in the lead up, like what what was it that went viral, and what happened immediately after it? What when did you know? Hey, this is this is that viral thing that people talk, <laughs> people about. talk yeah. about. And it was like that. And what
1: was interesting about that is a lot of people didn't think that I spoke before that. They thought, oh, she went viral and now she's got a speaking business. <laughs> but I know she was already speaking for the first um, you know nine years, sharing my message. And one of my key messages, and it's a foundational core message, and in, in every time I'm on stage is around self-esteem and self-love, and particularly in the space of us women, because I think that we get bombarded not only with lots of marketing messages about what we wear and what's the latest look and that you've got to be wearing the right shoes to be good enough, etc., but also on body image, and we get slammed in that area as well. And so, and whether we know it or not, it will affect everything that we do. The conversation we have with ourselves about ourselves will affect every other conversation in our life. The relationship we have with ourselves and our body, the house we live in, will affect every every other relationship we have in our lives. So I think it's, it's important that we just forget it seems so simple but I just think it's um it needs to be talked about, because it happens subliminally and subconsciously to, until we get to the point that we realise we're judging ourselves. And it's pretty yucky, isn't it? Absolutely, and mm. it affects our confidence. That's where our confidence sits, our resilience, our courage, our fearlessness sits in that place. Um, and so I always talk about that and talk about this issue that that women have, and try empowering women to love ourselves again and see that the benefits of that with our work, our leadership, etc. And so. I had this day where I two years ago it was, and I went to the beach in my bikini at forty-seven years old. I don't know who I think I am. Evidently, I never got the memo that maybe that wasn't appropriate. Do you think but, there's an age where, like, well, the memo is comes there? out? That's when what I, I was know. wondering. Or is there a certain body that's allowed in a bikini? I'm uh, not sure. So this day, you went to the beach yes. in a bikini. And as I walked past a group of young people, uh, there were some comments made about me and my bikini and certain parts of my body and how they looked in my bikini, and I overheard them. Now, I'm not angry at those young people, and a lot of people wanted to talk about that. That's not the point. They they are growing up in the same society that we're growing up in with the same messages, which is why they're even looking at that. So I'm not angry at them. But it made me think again about... And I had a
0: moment where I had to check myself and give myself that bit of talking to it's okay, Julie. (laughs) What what was going through your head in that moment? So you've just... you. You're on the beach, Mm -hmm. you're in your bikini, you've just heard these words of kind of along the lines of who does she think she is. What what was the first thing that went through your Well, head?
1: Yeah, the first reaction is uh, hurt, you know, that mm. feeling of, of being a little bit hurt. And then, but this is where we have to emotionally empower up. So you can either stay hurt or then you talk yourself through it. Uh, that's okay. You know, th- they're just coming from a place of being bombarded with the same message as I am, which is why they're noticing. The fact that they're noticing me means that they feel judging themselves in the same way. Empathy suddenly happens because now I'm feeling empathy for them if they're feeling like that about themselves as well. And then, Julie, you're good enough you know, it's okay, you know, love yourself up, baby, my sparkle is alive, you know, feel good about myself again. And then... Does <laughs> ref- that happen in the moment? Is that oh, because- I, go, I pretty much go through that process, yeah, yeah of, of talking myself back up again, because I don't want to stay in that place. And I don't deserve to feel like that. So you, and who, who else's job is it, if not mine, to bring myself back
0: up? So a lot of people would have gotten to that place. So they've heard, they've felt hurt, they've talked themselves up, which is which is hard to do. Mm. But as you say, it's been a big part of your message mm. and you kind of got to live your message. That's right, exactly which is right. So you get tested on it. <laughs> then you did something else.
1: I did. I came home and thought, what am I? What else can I do for my tribe? And I post every day on Facebook something for my tribe to to once again remind people of how important this message is. Because I went to the supermarket after I got home from the beach to do the Monday shopping, and the magazines are all lined up again with all the women's bodies on it, and who's on a diet and who's not. And and haven't we got bigger things to focus on, really, really? So I came home and thought, what can I do? So I got in my bikini and coerced my teenage son to take a photo of me in my bikini by the pool. He was wrapped. <laughs> Especially when I put it on Facebook. And I put a message with it saying, this is Julie Cross. This I am a size 12 on some days, size 10 on another day. I'm 47 years old. You know, who do I apologise to for the stretch marks in my stomach from carrying two nine-pound healthy baby boys? Who should I apologise to for the dimples in my thighs that you thought were cute when I was two? You know, this is my body. I'm owning it. Enough is enough. We, we should all be able to do this, etc. And so I put that up on a Sunday afternoon. It was just one of my general posts. Now, I was not prepared for the reaction because by Monday morning, um, 120,000 likes and the phone started ringing. So that was my first indication that maybe something was, gut- funny yeah. was going on here <laughs> with this post. And I wondered yeah. at that point, oh, should I take it down? Maybe I should take it down. That was because suddenly you're exposed. uh, By the end of that week, it had 210,000 likes, 14,800 comments. There were 45 points of contact with the media here in Australia, worldwide, online magazines, morning TV, New Idea magazine. You know, and by then it had just taken on a life of its own. And it was interesting at the beginning where you said, you know, that... uh, Some people said to me, How did you do that? Like, I orchestrated it. (laughs) Like, anyone that knows me wouldn't ask that question because uh, I don't orchestrate very much in my life. So, that was that just happened. And I was, in the end, left really sad that it happened to that extent because there were two reasons I was sad. Number one, if I had known it was going to go that viral, I would have wore a sparkling bikini, not my $20 (laughs) stretch Kmart black bikini. But number two was that it indicated to me that we have an emotional wound still so deep in our society that that would get that much attention. That it would resonate with enough. And I imagine mostly women going... Me too. Yep, thousands of messages from people. And I still get emotional when I talk about it all over the world. um, Young girls that cut themselves, um, women that are still so affected by negative body image that affects the way that they move through their lives. Um, A man in Ireland contacted me about his body image and, and the way it's affected him. Um, that's a big wound in our, our first world countries that are supposed to have so much together and we can't even get that basic thing of just accepting who we are and the body we showed up in. And so, um, you know, I felt sad about it too and, I mean, I felt um, elated that my message could help so many people but sad that it even had to, that, that that's where we're at.
0: Yeah, that there's hmm. that hurt and that pain yeah. and that that we don't have, I mean, you, you know, even that... That other voice that you described on the beach. You know, we feel the hurt, Mm. but so many of us don't have that other voice that goes, All right, time to love myself up even more here because I'm, I'm, I'm. Um, that's a feeling bad. People and I, cover up and, that's they, right. and they cover up for decades. That's right. right.
1: And that when you cover yourself up physically, you cover yourself up emotionally. You cover yourself up in so many other ways. And, and that's why that connection is so important between ourselves, our physical selves and our emotional selves. And I think we've forgotten that too, that that is a really important relationship. And you work on one and the other one comes along for the ride. And what you said there, I think too, um, Ellie, was so important in that I can never control and I think sometimes we have in this, what everybody else says about me, no matter how much I will harp on about that, they shouldn't have said that. She shouldn't have said that. I can't believe she said that to me on the beach that day. She shouldn't have said that. She just shouldn't have said that. You know, I'm upset. Well, she shouldn't have said it. No, I'm not getting over it because she shouldn't have said it. We, you and I could talk for a month about whether she should or she shouldn't have said it. She already said it. And now it's over to me because I will never be able to control everybody saying things or not saying things about me. You know, that's out of my control. What's in my control is what I then do about what they said about me. And that's in all of our our ability to control that. And I think we forgot that sometimes too. Mm.
0: And then there's that next step of sharing that with others. And I think that's what's so powerful. And I think one of the, um, the big things is you've been showing up for your tribe, as you say, for a long time. Mm. This wasn't just you hadn't put anything on Facebook ever. No no one ever knew who you were. And then all of a sudden you put this on. You had people who resonated with your message, people you connected with, people Mm. you shared your life with, people you shared your concerns, fears, Mm. the ugliness, the the joys, Mm. all of that who, um, who were expanding their lives because of what they were hearing and connecting through you. And that being that that platform, I think, is really, Mm. really important. When the phones started ringing, as Mm. they did, and you went, what has just happened here? what, what was that experience like for you? What Was was there a debate in your head going on and what was one side saying and what was, I guess, the other yeah, side saying? Yeah, there was a couple of
1: significant moments throughout that that um, I had to really sit and have a think. And the first one was when the fir- I had the first interview at the radio station, which was 5.30am on that Monday morning. So I was just rolled out of bed and I get that phone call and I go, oh, yes, okay. because And I had only just checked my post and noticed that it had gone through the roof. And then this radio station station is talking about it and wanting to interview me. I let them take control of the interview and turn it into something that it wasn't about, which was attacking the young people and making fun of women in bikinis pretty much. I decided then that would never happen again, that if I was going to do an interview, it would stay and make sure that I'd make sure that I was strong enough to make sure the message stayed on purpose, which is what it was about. So that was a steep learning curve, first mm. one. Yeah, at 5.30 in the morning. Yeah, at 5.30 right? in the morning. <laughs> Let
0: me just have a coffee before I yeah, get learning. Right. <laughs> exactly right.
1: And um, in that point, Ali, I did feel very vulnerable yeah. and very scared yeah. and wondered what I'd started and whether um, I could finish it. So I did all of that. But I truly believe these moments, and especially these non-orchestrated moments for me, and this is how I view the world, is just, the universe's way of giving you, first of all, a round of applause and saying, you are on purpose and I am just letting you know to keep on. And to me, that's what that viral thing was about. A a round of applause for the universe to say, we needed this message and I'm just letting you know this is on purpose for you. Um, And we're inviting you up onto a bigger stage Mm. for a little while to share that message because it's so important.
0: Is there a strong weight of responsibility that comes with
1: that? Absolutely. And And that's what I feel most vulnerable about. Oh my gosh, I have of that moment where I go, what if I'm not enough for this? You know, wh- wh- who am I to be doing this? Who? Why did I, you know, why is this happening? And, wh- and what if I'm letting somebody down and I'm not saying it right and they're going to take it ro- the wrong way? Um, but I, I don't,
0: I, sorry. I think that not enough, and I'm just connecting with the listeners. I mean, we're, we're talking about, yeah, you now a stage and a, mm. a big thing, but I think that not enough message comes to anyone who might be a leader Absolutely. for a team of five might have the same kind of thing. Like, who am I to take this on? A new project that we're taking. Absolutely, looking after a brand new baby like it doesn't have to be the hundred twenty thousand likes for that same doubt to come through. So yeah, continue on with how you doubt, and that's
1: so true too because when that happens. Um, I see that as a, as a workout. I see that then. And that's how I process as well. I'm having a chance to work out that, that emotional muscle of resilience and courage. And that is a mini workout, which rolls over into everything I do. And so, you know, those personal workouts that we get in our personal lives can roll over into our professional lives. And so, so it's, and it's absolutely okay to have that moment of vulnerability, and then it's okay to then stand up and move through it. And so that's, of course, what I did. And I didn't, and I still felt vulnerable and nervous before every interview. Interview and all of that, but that's okay. I, but that, you got I clear on
0: that. we're going to stick to the yes, purpose of the message that's was the right. number one. There was a second piece of learning. Yes,
1: the second piece of learning was when New Idea came to me to do a, a spread... <laughs> And, then, and that would mean, we, Ellie, we
0: mean a spread, right? That would mean that
1: I would have to get in my bikini and have a still shot, not with my... I can't walk around with my arms in the air, which is how I did my shot on Facebook, which I kind of thought elongated my body a little bit with my arms in the air. So suddenly, you know, I am being photographed close up for a glossy magazine in my bikini. So I now have to really make sure I walk my talk and walk my walk. And I had thought about not doing that, Um, particular interview, and this was a defining moment again, and it was a conversation with my teenage son, Jack, because I was also very aware of how they were feeling with all of this exposure that mummy was getting and the effect it might be having on them. But Jack's the one that said to me, mum, you started this. This is who you are. This is your message. You finish it. You have to do the interview. And so I was so, so proud of you. You can't him in that dish moment. on teenagers no, when that they are going to call you on it. <laughs> yeah. All that stuff you taught them, they'll call yeah, you on it. Powerful. And um and so for me that was it. It was like, well, Julie, you have got to walk your talk and you do need to um, you know, be comfortable. And I said to them specially, no airbrushing, you can't do airbrushing. This is um, my message. So it has to be real and raw. Did they listen to you? Well it it did look like it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't say you had to listen to that carefully. No, I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> there it is. Oh, yeah, There powerful, it is. So, powerful. so that was
1: another moment, and. Um you know, and Jack also said to me, you know, next week they'll be talking about something else anyway, Mum. Exactly. And so that's so yeah. true too.
0: Did you have that moment after? Because it was huge. Yeah. Um, and I know it was a big wave, as you say, like 45 mm. um, calls to different media outlets and mm. probably a tonne of other, other kind of things. Was there a moment afterwards where you went, I'm old news now? Uh, you know, I think I'm pretty...
1: I'm pretty um grounded like that, like I think maybe there was a bit of a relief that it that it that it did just sweep through that. It didn't become who I was defined, you know, as sort of thing. But um, And it still gets referred to and I still talk about it um, when I present from the mm-hmm. stage because I just think the message is so powerful around it. Um, but I think I was kind of okay then to move on from the next because I think I said to you earlier before we um, got on air about that thing of the more exposure you get, the more exposed you are. And so that kind of takes a lot out of you too to, to maintain that level of exposure because you're exposed emotionally, which means not all those 14,800 comments on the bottom of that post were positive. You know, and I had my fair share of people messaging me saying terrible things. And I don't talk a lot about that because it doesn't deserve the airtime to be spoken about. And because I choose to focus on the 14,000 people that got it, not the few comments that were nasty. Mm. Um, But that's still... It takes a a toll. And so I think that we need to acknowledge that, that it does. Um, But that's okay. So I think that when we look at people who are getting constant exposure and maybe, you know, famous, we perhaps call them famous, uh, this is why they have trouble, I think, because when you've got that kind of level of exposure, you're very exposed emotionally. And so you better be strong if that's what you're after. If you wanted fame, you better be strong. Because um, you don't just get the good stuff,
0: you get lots of negativity as well. So, And you're right, it's um, it's those moments of, of stepping up, of taking responsibility and going, right, well, I'm going to take ownership and, and charge on this. Um, and sometimes the fear can be, well, what if I get shut down? What if criticism comes out? And... and I've certainly, I've certainly done it and I certainly know others who when we hear criticism, we jump and we change tact just to please mm. the people around us. So from your perspective, what's in your armoury to help you feel strong? So when you say you need to be strong before you mm. go there, what do you, and even practically, mm. like what's some of the stuff that you do to help you stay strong?
1: mine is very much it's that empowering self talk. I spent a lot of time using lots of empowering self talk. Um I I, every day go to that mirror and I look into who I am. I don't look just at myself. And I think there are so many women who would not remember the last time they went to the mirror and actually looked into their eyes. We are taught to look at ourselves and make a judgment about ourselves as opposed to looking into who we are. I look into myself every day and I literally love myself up like when I was two in front of the mirror. You know, no one else can see me doing it. It's a relationship I have with me. Because I, that is the foundation once again, because what matters most is what I think of myself, not what some stranger thinks of me. And so I have, to keep, and I have to keep reminding myself of that every day. I have a baby photo of myself beside my bed with my feet kicking out on this swing and my head thrown back laughing, fearless and free. And, I, and whenever I'm um, feeling under attack or, and then doing that to myself but as a result of somebody, it's something somebody else has said to me, I look at that little baby and I say, how would you talk to her? What would you say to her through this time? So I practically do things like that. Why is it so
0: important to do it every day?
1: Oh, because I think there are so many, subliminally and subconsciously, we are being um, hypnotised by negative messages all of the time. And so to negate those, we need to be every day doing something to to fill ourselves back up again. Uh, I think we underestimate, I said before, that physical love and what that does for us emotionally. I go, I exercise every day. Because if I loved myself enough, I would look after my body. I mean, isn't that logical? How would I treat something I loved? Oh, I would take it for a walk because, I mean, I say to my audiences, are we waiting for another study? I mean, I want the government to spend another million dollars to find me more data that tells me exercising is good for me and then I'll start. Like, really? That's that personal responsibility. What are we waiting for? So if I loved myself enough, I would take myself out for a walk. And how would I feel after that? We get that beautiful feeling, don't we? We feel so elated. We think we look in the mirror and we suddenly look better that day. We turn around and look at ourselves from behind and we think, well, that looks pretty good. And you know, Put pants on, we go, oh, my pants fit better already. No, they don't. You've only been once. But it feels like they do because you've just changed the way you saw, see the world through working on loving yourself up. And that... Will then be projected in every interaction you have that day. You will be stronger that day, you will be more resilient, you will be more confident. Because you feel good about yourself and you did something loving for yourself. And that beautiful feeling that we get when we've done that, that's our soul's way, our body's way, our heart's way of saying, we want you to do it again. That was so beautiful. Could you please do this for us again? So I make sure every day I do something loving for myself uh, that fills me up, that gives me that beautiful feeling. And, and it doesn't mean, and I think that this is the thing about loving ourselves, is that a lot of us don't feel like we can talk about it because it sounds egocentric or it sounds like, oh, yeah, you can't, you're loving yourself. Yeah. Selfish, yeah. When, when did, you know, where, where was that shift that happened there? Loving myself doesn't mean I think I'm better than anyone else because I know I'm not. It just means I know I'm as good as everybody else and I'm the same miracle that everybody else is. And so when I did that for myself, I could see that in everybody else, you know, and I think that's
0: the most unselfish thing that we could do for the world is to love ourselves up. Powerful to get there, right? Mm. And, and as you say, such a daily, a daily check in um, to to counteract all of that in the other messages that we tell ourselves, but also mm. that's around us. You mentioned <clears throat> before that you've been speaking um, for nine, maybe a decade or so. Why? What got you into that kind of light of work? So you do a lot of work on, you know, speaking at big conferences. You work with um, individuals, but also organisations around how they can. Uh, get better out of their leadership and and yep. connect with people, and you have so many beautiful messages. What was the journey, and why why go down that path?
1: Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's, it was actually it was about ten years I'd been speaking before I had the bikini, or oh, before I had this it's, that situation, my personal story with my husband. And once again, a lot of people think I think. Thought I started speaking after I had my personal challenges, but my business actually started 20 years ago. So I should be a lot more famous, shouldn't I, by now? Um, so like an overnight success yeah, in 20 right. years. Right? 20
0: years ago this year, so I turned so 50 20. this year, and yeah. it's 20 years in business this year. But so, what got you into going? I'm gonna. I've got a message to share. I'm gonna get on stage and start to share it.
1: Well, I was working in the hairdressing industry. So my background's hairdressing. So I was working in the hairdressing industry and I was um, training hairdressers on how to use our products, et cetera, for a hairdressing company. So a technician they called us then. And then we would also educate the clients on our retail products, et cetera. But I could see a huge gap between putting that information in their heads, but them being inspired enough with their hearts and their energy to actually go and do anything with this information and connect with the clients. So I knew then that that was something I wanted to do in that space. And I also had been an area manager for a group of hairdressing salons. And I love that inspiring people to learn and grow and motivating, etc. So I kind of combined the two and started putting together a few little um, formats for this hairdressing company and got great feedback. I then fell pregnant with my first son and read a book called Speak and Grow Rich. So not think and grow rich, speak and grow rich, which is written by Dottie and Lily Walters in the United States. But it's about speaking and that became my Bible. I had a dream. I said to my husband, I want to start a speaking business. So when Jack was six months old. I bought a whiteboard. I typed up some formats on the computer. I rang some hairdressers because that was the industry. And that's what this book said. If you're not famous, start in an industry that knows you. And I certainly wasn't famous, hadn't won gold medal, hadn't written a you know, book, hadn't earned a million dollars. So who was I? So I started in a hairdressing industry that knew me. And um, started working with hairdressers and did training sessions. A hairdressing company heard about what I was doing a year on and said, you know, we've heard about the feedback. We'd love to take you on tour. And they called them seminars. How about that? Mm, I was feeling pretty good. Someone famous does seminars. I know. Look (laughs) at me. And then um, I did that for a number of years and that was in Melbourne and we moved back to Brisbane, joined the National Speakers Association as it was then. And they had a speaking competition on and I went into the heat in Brisbane and I came second and I went on to win that competition nationally. So I thought, now I'm a professional speaker. (laughs) So it happens so organically for me, everything kind of, and, you know, and it's all word of mouth. And and so through word of hairdressers have husbands that are in other industries or friends. And so my whole business has grown word of mouth and it was a few years ago that i found my true calling alley because a client emailed me from newcastle and she said julie when are you bringing your show to town it's a show i <laughs> <laughs> just do seven hours and so that's how the what i do became the show yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right and you know and there's a there's a real message in that about listening to your audience too because you uni- you know i talk a lot about a lot the universe but that's life or your intuition or whatever you want to call it but it whispers to you and i really believe that and so You know, that whisper to me that it's a show has become one of my greatest things because my tribe now call it a show. There's so many analogies that come out of it being a show rather than a seminar. It's my uniqueness, it's how I stand out, you know, in that industry. And that came from a client, you know, how I came to be wearing sequins. A lady in my mother's group said to me one day, um, Julie, and I just used to wear corporate dress. And a lady one day said, oh, Julie, I just saw these sparkly shirts hanging up in that shop down the road, which is when there was no sparkle anywhere. She said, it reminds me of you and your personality. And that's how I started wearing sequins. And that's become... That's what Because that's for, a real so. brand, right, yeah. for you
0: is that that kind of sparkle and that's a real right. part of your message is getting people to share their sparkle. That's, that's a beautiful right. story of, so. that that it matches your effervescence and, yeah. and personality. Yeah, and I use
1: that about when I wear sparkle and I walk in and I meet everybody because I can see people looking at me like, who the hell she? What does she think she's doing wearing that dress? What's she going to tell us wearing a dress like that at 7.30 in the morning? Like I can hear the judgments and I share that on stage and I say, oh, I see you talking about my dress. And they're all like, oh, my gosh.
0: That <laughs> she knows us. And someone always comes up and says, it was me. And I go, you're not
1: the only one. But I use that analogy then. It takes courage to stand out from the crowd. It takes courage because the minute you're successful, somebody will look at you and go, who do you think you are? Think you're smart. And you're going to have to have the courage to deal with that. And because we need to stand out from the crowd to be successful in business, whether it's as a business or as individuals. Um, and so that, and that worked perfectly with my, uh, my, my concept and, and my brand. And so that came from, you know, a
0: friend at Mother's Group. Amazing. You alluded to before. So you started with a six-month-old, mm. um, which of course is the perfect time to start your own business. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. Let's do right. that. A little bit sleep-deprived, and uh, <laughs> I used to take him in the <laughs> pram, Jack in the pram, with
1: an apple, and to business, to meetings, to get new clients. And I knew that you know once
0: the apple was finished, the meeting had to stop. That was the end of the meeting. Good to see you winding up as we're getting closer to the core. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so you had your son, Jack, and you, um, you've you got two boys. You also had yes. Thomas. Thomas, so How four many years, years apart. Four years apart, right. So you are well into your business, sharing your message and, and getting out on stage, mm. um, having another child. Yes. Um, and your husband at the time was obviously supportive of oh, the work that you were you doing. Know,
1: that, oh, you know, that's the thing. Oh, the greatest gift you can give anybody is to believe in them and to um, – give them a soft place to fall. And that's what my husband did for me. He's you know, to say to me, go follow your dreams. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. You have a soft place to fall and I've got your back. You know, that is one of the greatest gifts we could give each other. And um, and that's what he did for me with this business. And,
0: and it is a beautiful gift. And I think it's such a reminder to voice that because mm, often we think that, don't we, about yeah. our great friends or family or people that we see and we go, man, they're doing, they're killing it. But we don't often share that so that people hear that. So to have that support must have been incredibly oh, powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've got this family, you've got this business, life is sailing and everything's going great. Mm. Um, and then it's not. No, and then it's not.
1: And that is life. Um, I think we become attached with it all looking like the Instagram picture, but it just doesn't always look like the Instagram picture. Sometimes life gets really messy because that is living a life. And so life was great and it's easy to be sparkly and happy when life's great, but it's also easy, I think, to become complacent. And I'd perhaps gotten to that place too. But yes, my husband and I... Um, Went to bed. It was about nine years ago and it was the 17th of December and we woke up in the morning and he couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't move his right arm and his right side of his face was paralysed. He'd had a massive stroke during the night and he was 42 years old. And it is one of those moments that you know that your life has changed forever and you just wish you could go back to sleep and and rewind it. But you can't because there's some rooms that life will push you into and your only choice will be how you get up and walk through it. But initially you actually can't even get up.
0: Yeah, no, no. It's an incredibly hard mm. moment and a place to be in. And as you say, I think even for a lot of people listening, for their own journey in their own kind of way, there are there are those. There is a, a moment, isn't there? Mm. And it's not. It's not like you ever get ready for no. um, life to be different and no. life to to change. Um, but it has a big impact on yeah on what happens from there.
1: Absolutely, and it really um, you know, for me too, you know, I've been. St- spruking this uh you know i feel great positive message f- for so long and then it was almost like i was called on so much of it and so i think that um that that is true for all the little things in life and i think that sometimes Having an event like this in your life really does put life in perspective. And why would you let those little things steal your time? Because there will be enough big things that will come along that you'll need to cope with. So get strong with the little things because one day you, we're all going to need to cope with something big. Mm. And so it was one of those moments. Um, and when you're at devastation, I know you can't leap straight to joy. You can't just get up and go, Well, I feel great. I'm going to get through this because that's like putting a smiley sticker over the empty fuel tank aid your car and going, <laughs> I'm just going to be positive. <laughs> You're that's what I empty. do with my husband, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I just go, he'll fill it up. And yeah, when the light comes on, that story. 30 k's to
0: go. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, you can't do no, that. No, um,
1: because you're running on empty. And so you actually have to allow yourself that at that time. And, um, and things get worse before they get better because that's that like energy attracting like energy. You get caught in a spiral. And that's certainly how it was for us is that we got caught in a spiral of devastation. And it just felt like that for a long time, um, things got a lot worse before they got better. And I joked that I felt like every bit of bad luck was coming along, knocking on my door and I opened up the door and said, come on in. It's all hanging out here. Yeah. Hang out with us. Yeah. And
0: so so he woke like up. That. He, were paralyzed, you oh, know, he
1: was paralyzed. Oh, and just called the ambulance. And, you know, and it was just that thing of, you know, what do you mean? What does this mean? And What do you mean? He's had a straight, when will he talk again? Will he walk again? What do I tell my boys when they wake up? They're eight and four. Mm. You bring him back and don't you, you know, I was angry. I was all of that. Mm. Um and it was just a blur. The next weeks were just a blur of doctor's appointments and, and trying to figure this through and I couldn't stop crying and trying to do Christmas with the boys and making sure that was okay. But, you know, I've learned a really valuable message in those coming weeks with all the doctor's appointments is that there was no doctor that could give me a date on a calendar of when my husband would be better. Because with a stroke, we don't know. So there is no date that they can say, this is when you'll have your life back. This is when your husband will be the way that he was. So if there's no date when do I get to be happy again? And that was a defining moment. The only way I get to be happy again is when I empower up through it, when I change my thinking, because this is now my life. And what do I want my life in amongst this to look like? So if I focus on devastation of my situation, I stay devastated. But what if I just grabbed my thinking and focused on gratitude that is still alive? Ah, that feels better. What if then I focus on hope because he is showing progress? Let me sit with that. Mm -hmm. You see, that's a better feeling place. And that doesn't mean I don't go back to devastation and I allow myself to cry and I do my devastation and then I go, okay, now I actually want to feel something different gratitude. Every time I get back up, I get stronger. I sit in that better feeling place longer. Then my girlfriend's bought some sparkle up in a bottle. That was really helpful, Ali. A bit of kitchen table therapy. (laughs) That's right. And I think we underestimate the value of that, where we laugh and we cry. Go back to devastation the next morning because I've got a hangover now as well. (laughs) Uh, But then, you know, we pick ourselves up and then my husband starts learning to talk. He mixes his words up and says some really funny things. We actually allow ourselves joy in that moment, and so there—that's a better feeling place. And so I really learnt to get strong emotionally and work myself up that emotional scale because what other choice is there? It's the workout stuff. It's you're the talking workout about, stuff. So, you're yeah. in a workout, and this is your life. So what are you going to? And I've got my boys, you know, to focus on what I want their life to look like from mm-hmm. here and amongst all of this because we are just a big mess. But we just did the best. But as you know, the story doesn't end there. <laughs>
0: no, yeah, no. So yeah, you lost Flash. He yeah, passed so away. well,
1: yeah, well, um, uh, just after um, Flash had his stroke. Well, that was when Thomas was diagnosed with autism. Right. So he, Flash, had had his stroke, and then right. two months later, Thomas goes back to. school goes to school, to preschool it was then. And so, yes, he was then diagnosed with autism. Right. So I had stroke in therapy, autism in therapy, stroke trying to get talk to autism, oh, autism, autism trying to talk to stroke. Yeah. I was needing some therapy yeah. and trying not to lose my mind and Jack. But um, And so for that next four years, that's that nice. mess thing again. We're yeah. a mess. And once again, life, you, you become attached to how it's supposed to look. You know, there was no rules on how to do this or how we were supposed to look. We were just a family in crisis, just doing the best that we could we were doing the best that we could in amongst all of that and that's all that we could do uh, and, and Flash showed great progress and, and he was doing well but he needed a new heart and he um, got an infection and went into hospital for the infection and he was coming home on the Tuesday morning but I'd get a phone call on that morning early to come into the hospital to go into a room that you don't want to go into but there's some rooms you have to walk through. And so a devastating journey to walk into the house at home to tell my little boys their daddy has died. Mm. So you go back to devastation. But we've been here before, and so, you know, you can get back up.
0: Yeah. And so
1: you get back up.
0: You find the gratitude. Yeah, and you work through that again. You get your girlfriends around you. And you do that, and you cry,
1: and you allow yourself your tears, and then you give yourself permission then for joy. And I think that can be the messing link with grief. Is that um, we allow ourselves our sadness, but then you actually have to allow yourself to have joy again. Yeah.
0: And I think that we forget that that and um, that we can have joy in the grief moments yes, as well. Yes, you can. And I think it is such a powerful message. And only um, the last week or two, you had a beautiful video on on Facebook with, with you crying and talking about. Um, and Jack and, and where he's at at the mm. moment and, and such a beautiful grown man that he mm. is now and and what his dad would have said to him yeah. and what his dad would have um, meant to him if yeah. he'd been around. And you really kind of show those tears. And we're sitting in the studio, both of you are swelling up. <laughs> but I think that's what's real and, and, and I think really important, as you say, in those Grief is hard. Yeah, it is. And there's no way. And there is no way
1: around it. You know, you just have to go through it. Mm. And I think the other important thing is that um, none of us are going to miss out on it. We're living a life. And Mm. in that, nobody promised us none of this. And I think that we've forgotten that as well, that the fact that it is part of life means that we always, as humans, have the ability to handle it. We really did. We just forgot that we were we had or that we were allowed to and that we're allowed to move through it. But moving through it, as you said, doesn't mean... Now, it's nine years on since I lost my husband. He was in the army for 20 years. He died on Remembrance Day, like we weren't going to remember, darling. <laughs> um, and... And then my son joined the army and, fo- and is making footprints um, beside his dad's. And so, deja vu moments for me constantly. So, moving through means that I still get sad sometimes. I, I still reflect and celebrate and miss. You know, it's the missing now more than the grieving. And yes, I miss those conversations that Flash and Jack would be having now. Of course, I absolutely do. And that does make me feel teary. But it's not a devastating, heavy, teary. It's it's a sadness and it's a, a reflection and it's okay. And it's really quite normal that that would be the case. And I think that, um, that as we said earlier, that we forget that that is normal, yeah. that of course, with that grief will always
0: come some tears at some point in your life, that there'll be tears again. And when you give it space, it it does move through you, like yeah. you say. It doesn't get stuck when you give it space just to allow it to be. It's not bad. It's not good. It just is. It and just, just is, yes. and, and that allows us the comfort to sit in our own whatever it is, yes. but it also allows us the comfort to sit in someone else's pain and grief. And Absolutely. And that's a massive gift that we can give. Absolutely. To and I think
1: that's such an important point is that, you know, and I was reflecting on that after that video, that, um, that if we don't allow ourselves to feel that grief, that's where our empathy and compassion come from, our ability to empathise and have compassion for others. So what else are we shutting down then? And once again, that's why it's such a, a, a unselfish thing to do to allow yourself that grief. It's not a selfish thing to do to allow yourself to go there. And it doesn't mean you're not moving on or you're not moving through. Or it, it means that you're um, feeling sad for a minute and that that would be absolutely, totally OK. But what I also know, Ali, is because of the depths of, of grief and sadness I felt, I have the equal and opposite heights of joy and passion and love in my life. And I know that I live moments... Uh, to a height that maybe some people don't reach because they haven't been to the depth of sadness that I've been to. So you're allowed to sort of see that as well. You are allowed to to take the gifts from all of those situations in your life, from all of those gaps. There are
0: gifts in there and you're allowed to embrace those and celebrate them. And they're just part of the story and we've never done this before and there's no rule book, so we can no, <laughs> just go right. along and do it. The other thing that you share um, quite a lot with your, your tribe and you mentioned before that you had Thomas have a, the diagnosis of autism mm. um, at, at quite a young age, and you share a lot about that journey, living with autism, mm. and that that that's also part of your life. And you you share a lot of the joy, a lot of the funny, a mm. lot of the <laughs> the just downright real moments. What what gifts has that experience given? To you. Mm. Yes, Thomas, um,
1: oh, Thomas, he gives me such an emotional workout every day. <laughs> I'm getting so strong <laughs> because, you know, um, I joke when I'm on stage and I show this slide of a broken window and I say, Thomas has taught me to look through the broken windows of my life to the view beyond because, you know, there were... There were um, months after my husband passed away that um, Thomas didn't have verbal ability to express his grief. And so he took it out. We had every win- wall smashed in my place. I had to wrap him in blankets some days and just lay on him to stop him from smashing things and hurting himself. And uh, we had every window smashed. The window guy even gave us a free window for Christmas one year because he felt sorry for us. <laughs> Brings out the, the people in the community that are helpful. It's nice. Um so you know, I can look back now and smile, but in amongst all of that, that was um, that was heavy stuff. But you learn that it's just walls. And what matters most, you know. So autism, you can smash my walls, you can kick my windows, you can spit on me, and you can call me a big penis. And oh, I don't. Let's get into why I don't know. <laughs> but you cannot, you cannot um, rob me of my sense of humor if I choose not to let you. And some days you do, and you you will not rob me of the love I have for the young man that has autism along for the ride. Um, and you will not take my joy of life. And some days you try, and it, and it is hard, and it's really hard. But um. But what what other choice do I have? Once again, you know, and this is what I say to parents living with: well, we are allowed to see the humour in all of this. You are allowed to to relax into that as well. Um, it is just walls in the end, and you've taught me that it's just stuff. And what matters most is what's happening
0: with us. Uh, is there a sorry. grief process that goes mm. with that? Like a grief of the child without autism? Mm. Is there a grief of? <clears> yeah, 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 absolutely,
1: because it's not like we leave the doctor's office with this diagnosis of autism going, yes, we got picked! (laughs) It's us! We've got the big journey! You know, we've got the next Bill Gates! (laughs) Yes! You know, you just don't do that. You you leave and you're devastated. And especially 10 years ago, we knew little about autism and nowhere near as much as we do now. Um, Immediately you think Rain Man, you know, which is still probably where a lot of people go. Um, We don't often see a really positive picture of autism when you hear that word. So... Yes, it's devastating initially. And you are because you're in such a world of unknown and you don't know what this means. Whether, will he talk again? Like, I didn't even know if Thomas would ever talk. Um, will he ever go to school? Will he ever function at school? And so I still go into that sometimes. With He's 16 now, so I still wonder, will he get married? But, you know, Ali, I've learned too. And this is a great skill, again, for, for life, for work, for management, leadership, I can't go too far into that. I have to stay, pull myself back into the moment. And that's what Thomas has learnt me to do too. Pull myself back into the moment, look after the moment we're in, and I'll just have to trust in in where this goes from here. Because I can't fix that right now in the future. All I can do is work on where we're at right here, right now in this relationship. Um, And for Thomas to go through all that grief... you know, with autism as well, along for the ride. You know, grief is a tough task, Master, but when you've got autism, along for the ride. Trying to figure out the world anyway. You know, You know, I would say to Thomas, oh, Daddy is in heaven. So that's abstract language. Autism doesn't do abstract. So he's out laying on the trampoline, looking at heaven, waiting to see Daddy. You know, so having to really grow myself and learn how he sees the world and and communicates with the world and trying to make sure that I could assist him in doing that. But that's also taught me to look at the world differently. And so, you know, I now look at the world a little bit differently due to Thomas and Thomas educates the people around me. And Thomas has taught me my ego, you know, my (laughs) my feet are firmly planted on the ground. Um, So he has many moments. We were in Townsville. I took him to Townsville with me for work for a few days. I don't know what I was thinking just quietly, but anyway, I did. And um we had had a bit of an argument in the room. And so I went downstairs to breakfast and said, Thomas, I'll meet you at the smorgasbord. You know where it is. So Thomas is like, righto. No. So we go down to the smorgasbord. I go down first. I see him come in, mumbling away, getting his breakfast. So I take my breakfast and sit down. He gets his breakfast and sits down at another table. <laughs> like, and so that happens frequently. <laughs> so my ego can't go, oh, come and sit with me. This is what a happy family looks like. We've got to look like the Instagram photo. Come and sit here with me and have a nice time. If he wants to sit somewhere else, that's fine. It's got nothing to do with me, you
0: know, and this is probably good for us to have a bit of time (laughs) apart.
1: So we move through our life a little bit like that. Yeah.
0: And you probably actually kind of go, actually, okay. So just a bit of time on my own is fine. Yeah. I'm (laughs) actually really liking this. (laughs) You just stay over there. Yeah. No, I imagine there have been times where it's, um, yeah, really checked. and, And as you Say shaped your view of the world and shaped what's okay. And have there been moments where you've been surprised by um, surprised by joy at at what I guess autism brings to you, your family, your relationships to to the contact?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and surprised also at Thomas's ability to surprise me with how he grows. Um, he's taught me too that I that I probably had. And this is terrible as a parent to say about your child, but you know, I did have perhaps limiting limited expectations because of what he was showing me and because I was seeing and we as parents we sometimes see the worst behaviour of our children so close up that um that I had to really trust the professionals that they saw something different in Thomas. And he's um showing me that he's he's got so much more to offer than what he he perhaps shows you when you first meet him. And so to to not have that limited perception of what people can achieve. You know, Thomas is, um, he surprises me every day. He makes me laugh out loud every day with the way that he sees the world and the way that he moves through the world. There's no doubt about that. And he teaches people around him all the time. We hopped on a train the other day and and it was after a couple of stressful weeks. But Thomas walked onto the train and he turned left and I turned right because I thought some time apart. Like, the, you know, be it would be, no, be a good thing. And so I get a text from Thomas, I think mothers should sit with their sons. So I read the text and look up at him and then he yells out across the train, well, I think mothers should sit with their sons, don't you? <laughs> well, evidently everybody else should sit with, uh, the mothers thought mothers should sit with their <laughs> sons too. So Thomas doesn't have a filter, you know, and, and so what was so interesting, Ali, is that, Here I am teaching people to stand out from the crowd, to walk to the beat of their own drum, you know, to just be who they are and not worry about what other people think. Well, Thomas does all of those things and he does it really loudly. (laughs) And so every time I look it up, I just I just want to talk about it, not parent it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So, you know, it's
0: like he's that
1: living person that's doing all of those things that I talked about. Because we do
0: have um, conditions, don't we? We say, yeah, sure, live a big life, stand out, you know, live boldly, sparkle. Yeah. As long as you do it in the right way at the right right time between nine and five and don't annoy anyone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right. So he does all of that and he does it his way. Way, and that can be confronting. And I often joke, too, that, um, you know, it's so interesting when I look at the way my both boys is that I've been constantly trying to get Jack to stand out from the crowd. Well, it seems I've been constantly trying to get Thomas to blend into the crowd. No wonder we're all confused. Mm. You know, no wonder we're all confused. So learning to um, and, you know, really strengthening my not worrying about what other people think, because when Thomas is having a meltdown somewhere... You have got to be once again, and this is often the messages I get from parents of children with autism, how do you handle these situations when you are somewhere and they are melting down and then swearing at you or being totally inappropriate socially, and you can feel everybody's judgments, you know, you can feel them looking at you and judging, and the minute you start buying into that, you start parenting differently because you're consumed by worrying about what they're all thinking, and so the way I deal with that is I fade them all to grey, in my head, they've all faded to grey and Thomas and I are the only ones in colour. And this is all that matters right now in this bubble. Because in the end, when I walk away from that situation, you know, these are strangers that I'll never see again in my life. What That doesn't matter. What matters is how I handle this now in a loving way with Thomas and how we walk away from this is what's going to matter. And so, you, once again, you have to be really strong in, emotionally
0: and so be present and, and do be right with f- Be in the moment and right for him. them. Yeah, yeah. And I think I've certainly been. I have two kids, seven and nine, and I know that sense where I've definitely parented differently mm. um, in in judgment of you know, the way I should look or the way yes. other things should be. Yeah. Like I remember my two-year-old having a meltdown in the library of all places, mm. right, the Screaming. screaming. Um, and every part of me just wanted to walk out the door yeah. and just let, let yeah, them go right. <laughs> because I'm going, shh, no, yeah, you, know, right. you know, I'm going to. Bribe yep. you and to yep. get, yeah. but we do we change, but we do it in a work context as well, don't we? We we yeah. we kind of think people are watching, so we we tone down or we change what we actually know to be true. But I love that sense of fade them to grey,
1: yeah,
0: and come back to what really matters and what's important to you and what are you going to need to continue to connect with after this mm, situation. That's exactly
1: right. And there was another incident too. Um, and this is this vulnerability and sometimes it's having the courage to be vulnerable. When Thomas was first diagnosed with autism... Um I did know that I, I – I mean, i just had the stroke happen and now I had this autism thing and I'm Googling it and trying to work it out and I dropped him off to preschool and I just could not connect to any of those other parents. I just was not in the place to connect with them. I did not know that I wanted to say he was autistic because I did not know that I wanted that label. And you'll notice I don't. I say he lives with autism. My name's Julie. I live with drinking too much wine on occasion. <laughs> we all live with something. And he lives with autism. He's a, he's a boy, first mm-hmm. and foremost, a young man now called Thomas – But I hadn't worked that out. And when I was dropping him off at preschool, I would not connect to any of the parents. If they were there talking, I thought for sure. And how often do we do this when we're feeling like this? I thought for sure they were talking about Thomas. You know, who did he kick today? Who did he spit? It's all right for you. You don't know what's going on in my life. Well, of course they didn't know. How would they know? You know, towards the end of that year, we were about to go into grade one together as, as a group. And I had an aha moment. And Thomas got a couple of Christmas cards given to him in the little pockets that they put up. He couldn't tell me who the kids were so I could return the Christmas card favour. But I just had that moment of reflection. And Julie, if you don't like what you're getting, change what you're giving. You've got to invite people in. They don't know what's going on in your life. So I wrote a letter to every parent and just put it in every pocket and just said, hi, my name's Julie, mother of Thomas. You might've noticed that Thomas is really unique. (laughs) Thomas lives with autism. It's still a journey we're learning about. Thank you to the children that gave him Christmas cards. But I want to thank you too, because as we go into primary school together, I know for sure that the way you treat Thomas and the way your children look out for Thomas will forever have an impact on our journey together. So thank you in advance for your kindness and understanding as we embark on this journey. And so it was in the that kind of a vein you know, what do you reckon happened as soon as that read that letter? I was wrapped up in these mm-hmm. mother's and father's arms and they hugged me. They cried with me. They gave him a lot more Christmas cards the next day. And they made a promise that yeah. they would be there for us for that next seven years through primary school. And I know they would have gone home to their children that day and said, you know, you just have to be a bit more gentle with Thomas and a bit more patient. And he might need a bit of extra help from you. And, um, And they kept their promise, Ali. They kept that promise and they were amazing in our lives. And so if we don't like what we're getting from the people around us, whether that's in leadership or in customer service, you know, as a team member, as a partner, as a mother, let us check what we're giving. Maybe there's something that we could change. And sometimes it's being courageous enough to go... We're actually not doing okay over here. Mm. We've got a big challenge because most people are really good people and most people want the opportunity to help
0: somebody. Totally. We're all the first. If someone needed Mm. help, we'd jump on the bandwagon. Yet the idea of asking for help feels devastating. Absolutely. And so that
1: was a a defining moment for me in in really realising that. And they really did keep that promise and it was quite amazing. And I asked to make a speech at their end of year parade, these 12 and 13-year-olds, because I wanted them to know that you know, people say to me all the time, and I'm sure you get asked it too, how can I really make a difference in the world? This is how we really make a difference (laughs) in the world. We just take the stage we've got, whatever that stage is. They took the stage of primary school at 12 and 13, and they used that stage to make a difference in this family's life. They left footprints in our hearts and in our lives that will forever have an impact, you know, and the way I really got to see the impact that had was through a relief teacher that towards the end of that year seven, and I went up to see her, to see how Thomas was going with the change of teacher. She said to me, Julie, Thomas is so amazing. I just want to squeeze him. And I said, well, you're probably not allowed to anymore, are you? But thank you. She said, but what brings goosebumps, and she used that word to me every day, is the way these children interact with Thomas, the way they applaud him, redirect him, correct him, support him. She said, Julie, it is such a joy to watch. And the gift is as much for Thomas as it is for those children. And so when I heard it through her eyes, I mean, I knew they'd been like that, but I was really. Um, touched and it really impacted the fact that they had used their stage and made a difference. And that's how we make a difference. Now, they probably won't go viral you know, <laughs> they, you won't see them on morning TV. I'm sorry to say, but that's how we make a difference in the world. So I said the speech at the end of year parade. I asked the principal, and he invited me to say. So I to, I thanked them all and told a few stories about the impact they'd made in our lives. And I really wasn't prepared for the reaction because everybody started crying. The children were crying, hugging each other. The teachers were crying, hugging the principal. The principal was crying, hugging <laughs> the teachers. Thomas was sitting there laughing <laughs> his head off. I was say, <laughs> the they're the only one not crying. But that is how we make a difference in the world. That is how we do it. Is just by using the stage we've got
0: and the everyday moments and And the the everyday everyday heroes. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the next stage for you, Julie Cross? Oh, the next stage
1: for me. Well, I would. I mean, I absolutely love what I do, and I am so grateful. I feel like that. um, I am doing what I've been put here to do. This is why I'm here on this planet to, to share my message, um, whether that be from the stage or um, via social media or my podcast or however I get to do that. My public shows. So um, as long as I'm in this space, and I and I'll be guided by my audience and by you know what people want to hear. But I wake up every day and say, you know, my three things: how can I empower, energize, or entertain? And if I can do, whether that's through a Facebook post or through my speaking from a stage or through my writing, if I can do that – somebody, even if it's one person, then um, that's how we make a difference. So I will continue that journey and, and let um, life intuitively take me where it takes me as I go on that journey. So I'm enjoying that. I'm, I've turned 50 this year. I'm embracing that. So looking forward to the next. I feel like I've, I've um, climbed a very um, tough emotional mountain but like all mountains we climb, I'm at the. I feel like I'm nearly at the summit of this particular mountain, and the view is so beautiful. Amazing, as it is as we climb any mountain in our lives. So,
0: well, thank great. you for keep turning up with your your sparkle, and we're going to share all the ways that people can connect with you sure. because I'm sure the conversations would have connected with people as much as it has um, with myself. The In rounding up, the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. So if I were to offer that term up to you, what does it mean to you to live a standout life?
1: I think it means what we talked about before we came onto air is to live uh, the truest um, form of myself, of Julie Cross, to show up confidently in my space as being Julie and know for sure who she is. And then um, in doing that, I will be then able to share my gifts with the people around me and leave the world a better place. You know, I would like to think that when I'm gone, the world will have been a little bit better for the time I spent here and the people around me. Beautiful. You're Thanks gorgeous, for having so... me, Allie. We're going to get You're more so tissues next time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Such an honour to be here with you and your listeners. Thank you so much for having me here. Thanks, Julie. You're a gem.